Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me this evening. If you are listening live, you could have been with Obama, but you chose to be with me. That means so much. Let me start off uh, the program by wishing none other than my father a happy birthday. Happy birthday, Dad. Happy 7-0. I know you're listening. He typically ghosts in the chat, but uh, say uh, say happy birthday to my dad. He's 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 around. Uh, big 7-0. Right on, Dad. Okay, so tonight what we're going to be doing is... We're going, I'm going to have um, our attorney from Josh B. Law Group, Edward Paltzik, on to talk about some significant developments in our lawsuit and what we can expect moving forward. Uh, I'm going to talk just some other random stuff, really, this crazy, crazy live updating of this this guy ending his, his marriage. It's amazing what people put on the Internet these days. Um, and a couple of good cops who... Well, we're, we're wronged. Anyway, let's get started. Welcome to the show, everybody. It's hard to believe it's 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 almost been a year since. Well, actually, it's been over a year. Let's let's for those of you not familiar with uh, our main topic, the lawsuit against New York City over the Bloomberg vaping ban. It's actually been over a year since I was initially contacted by Audrey Silk. This is this entire lawsuit is Audrey's brainchild. Um, Audrey came to me and you know said, "Hey, listen, when Bloomberg." And, you know, when New York City Council passed and Bloomberg, Bloomberg signed the ban on vaping in public um, in outdoor public places and any indoor space except a vape shop in New York City, um, she said, I think they made a big mistake. There's a rule in New York, and um, Edward can uh, explain that in just a moment, but there's basically a procedural rule that she thought that the city broke when pushing the legislation through and it, and it really was, it was a, uh, it was really railroaded through. Um, so I think they broke the rules and therefore I think we have grounds for a lawsuit, which would overturn the ban. And she asked me to, um, be her co-plaintiff, which I enthusiastically uh, accepted that offer. Uh, the lawyers that, uh, Audrey, uh, well, that actually all of us hired, I should say the, the, the funds for this lawsuit, came directly from vendors and vapors who wanted to help get this thing going. So thanks to all of you who contributed towards this, this effort. I think you'll, I think you'll be quite pleased with some of the things you hear tonight and uh, rest assured your money has been well spent. The, uh, the Josh P law group has just done a phenomenal job of representing us in, um, in our complaint against the city. So that was in December of, uh, 2014 and then we uh after we got everything together the the suit was filed in late march not you know, things move slow so um there's spurts of activity and then nothing for months and then spurts of activity 
Um, let's just bring Ed on now, and he can uh, walk us through the timeline and explain where we are today. Are you there, sir? Yeah, Russ. Uh, very good to be with you again. Yes. Uh, thank you for having me. Of course, uh, as always. Um, thank, thank you. Thank you for joining me once again for an update. Yeah, my pleasure. So basically, what happened is, is that the uh, the judge set a schedule for both parties to uh, file motions for summary judgment. And can you uh, both and, sides? And can you explain what what that is? Because there there could have been a different route that we uh, that we could have taken, which would have been much longer. So can you explain what su summary judgment? is and why we chose to go down that path? Yep. Uh, in a nutshell, summary judgment is basically uh, you file uh, a motion which basically says we're going to skip a trial and we're going to decide the case on paper. And both sides are essentially saying that there are no triable issues of fact. There are no factual disputes. And both sides are saying that they are entitled to judgment as a matter of law. And basically we're saying that the one subject rule has been violated that every local law has to be about only one subject can you explain the can you explain that, the one subject rule in just a little bit more more detail for those who might not be familiar with it yeah absolutely so every every local law so a law passed by the new york city council for example is a local law a law passed by the new york state legislature is not a local law it's a statewide law so every local law has to be about only one subject. So, for example, you can't have a local law about, for example, cigarettes and e-cigarettes is our position. Mm -hmm. Another example would be you can't have a local law <coughs> regulating uh, uh, whether or not somebody could keep exotic pets in their home and at the same time regulating smoking, two completely different subjects. Um, so our argument here is that Local Law 152, which is the e-cig ban, violates the one-subject rule because it amends the Smoke-Free Air Act to make the Smoke-Free Air Act about both smoking and electronic cigarettes, which is two subjects. So right. essentially we're saying that Local Law 152 has corrupted the Smoke-Free Air Act, which is really about secondhand smoke exposure. Sure, and, and just if anyone's curious why they did that, the, the reason now they could have easily the New York City Council could have very easily taken out a fresh piece of paper and drafted a law that was called the Vapor Free Air Act or whatever they wanted to call it. And if they did that and they passed it, we really wouldn't have any grounds for the lawsuit in the way that that, that we've brought it. The reason why they chose to take a very old piece of paper, I think dating back to the late '80s, but it's, it's been updated several times since. But they've taken a very they've taken a very old law. And they've tacked the e-cigs onto it. And the reason that they did that is because, for better or for worse, it's a popular bill. It's, it's a popular law in New York, well, you know, overall at least. So it's very, it's for, for their purposes to amend an old law that is popular is a lot easier than taking out a fresh piece of paper and doing something that people might not have supported. But when they hide behind the existing anti-smoking legislation, it made it much easier for them to pass the bill. Um, so that's why they did that. But what we're saying is you can't do that because electronic cigarettes or vaping and smoking are two different things and therefore two different subjects and therefore they have broken the one subject rule. I Yep, I, I agree 100%, Russ. And just to expand on that, what we have here is we have two different interpretations of the, the one subject rule. Essentially, what the city is saying is they're saying that the one subject rule does not apply 
to the Smoke-Free Air Act. They're saying that the Smoke-Free Air Act, which is found in the New York City Administrative Code, they're, they're going to argue that that's not a local law, that once it becomes law, once it becomes part of the Administrative Code, that it's no longer a local law and therefore no longer subject to the one-subject rule. We are arguing for a more expansive interpretation. We're arguing that the Smoke-Free Air Act is in and of itself a local law and that it has been corrupted by another local law, Local Law 152, the e-cig ban. I will say this, though. Even if you wanted to assume arguendo that the city's legal position was correct, our counter-argument is going to be very simple. Even if you grant them that, Local Law 152, the e-cig ban, is in and of itself about more than one subject because in their legislative findings, they specifically state that not only are they trying to stop people from using e-cigarettes, but they are trying to decrease the social acceptability of smoking. They're trying to prevent youth smoking. They're trying to prevent confusion about whether e-cigs look like cigarettes. So it's clear that they had smoking in the crosshairs there, and it's right there in the local law. So that's what we're going to come right back with in response to their papers. Now, just in case anybody missed that, um, it, it's, you know, you kind of, you, you can't make this stuff up, but, you know, I've read through all the documents, and I'm going to put them in the replay notes as well as right here in the chat. Everything is, is public record at this point, so we're, we're going to share everything with you, both everything filed by us and everything filed by the city. But just in case you, you, you missed what Ed said there, this is really... You, you can't make this up. We said that you, we said New York City broke a procedure that is the, the one subject rule um, where you can't have two subjects about one law. New York City's response was, it's not a law. It, it's, it, it sounds remarkable, um, but that's, that's really their response. Their response is that, I mean, how this could not be a law, it's called Local Law 152. How, how this could not be a law is uh, beyond all comprehension i i would like to think i would really like to think i don't know much about uh judge nervo who's the judge that's been assigned to the case but i i can only assume that he knows how to read and i i think that gives him all of the tools he needs uh to to grant the uh the case in our favor but you know stranger things have happened but um i i don't know i i looked at everything that you guys wrote and everything that the city wrote um your filing, as you guys will see, is much more extensive, and it's. Uh, I was just reading through it. I'm like, man, we we have some good lawyers here, and I and then I read what the city read and wrote, and they just said the same thing over and over again. It's not a law, um, and and I and I can't see how any reasonable judge would 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 side with them, but I, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, well, I guess what I would say about that, Russ, and thank you for the kind words. What I would say about that is that obviously, anytime you're you're asking a uh, judge to overturn a law. It's certainly a big ask, even if you uh, you believe that the uh, law has been violated by the city council. So it's sort of a, it's a mental hurdle for a judge to overcome. But uh, we certainly believe that this is uh, an, a prime example of log rolling, which is basically the the reason why the one subject rule exists to prevent people from inserting provisions into laws that have nothing to do with the purpose of the law. Um, it actually originated with Aaron Burr, who shot Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> there was a, a, a bill allowing, uh, allowing him to uh, have a charter for a, uh, a bank. <laughs> a provision was uh, secretly inserted that <laughs> allowed him to also start a, a water company. So uh, 
So basically, that's, this is the, 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 this, the, the spirit of, of this law is as old as our country, more or less. Yeah, the spirit is to not deceive the public. Sure. And, and that, that's really what this comes down to, the, the spirit of, of, the, of, what the, of what the one subject rule is all about. has clearly been violated here because clearly they're targeting smoking and smokers through the e-cig ban. And, and that, that's really what it, what it comes down to here. And, you know, what you mentioned something earlier that, ju- that judges are loath to overturn a law, but it's a little bit different here in that if, you know, if the judge was to rule in our favor, the Smoke-Free Air Act doesn't go out the window. It's just that the latest um, amendment to it does. So it's correct. So it's, it's not it's not as extreme as overturning the entire law. It's no, just the, the most recent amendment to it. So I don't know. Maybe. Correct. It would just, correct. It would just nullify the, the e-cig ban. And you made an excellent point, Russ. I, I think that if the city council uh, believes so firmly in their e-cig ban and they believe so firmly that e-cigs are bad for people, uh, then they should uh, bring it to a vote on a standalone e-cig bill and not uh, not log roll it, not attach it to a more popular piece of legislation, the Smoke Free Air Act. It's cowardly to do that because mm-hmm. it shows that they have something to hide. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, so yep. so everything's been filed at this point. Everything's been submitted to the judge. Um, what is the timeline moving forward before we could see some sort of decision by the judge? Well, both parties have until February 9th to reply to the dueling summary judgment motions, and then we get another opportunity for further papers to be submitted on February 26th, if necessary. And then February 27th is the date uh, on which the motions are actually submitted to the judge. And then it just comes down to what the judge's want is. What is his schedule? Will he decide the motion within a month, within two months, um, at that point, it's hard to say. It's just going to come down to what the judge's caseload is at that point. But isn't there a, a – I, I, I remember seeing from our emails back and forth, wasn't there a date in April that will be – it'll be no later than some date in April? Well, what they did is they scheduled a, a court appearance in case the judge had not decided the case by then. Oh. Uh, so if the case is disposed of by then, there'll be no need for a court appearance if the case is still going on, the judge may want the parties to appear. It's unclear whether the judge would actually require that appearance, though, unless he wants to hear further arguments. So that's like, that's uh, that's just a, a just in case he needs to see people in person for some reason, I guess? I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I would call that, I, I would say that that court date at this time, I don't have reason to believe that it's a significant court date. Okay. It's huh. just it's just kind of hanging out there, but the case ostensibly should be decided on the papers. Well, it looks like um, if we're lucky, it'll be you know sometime in March or April that we'll we'll see a, a decision one way or the other. Now, we I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah we can certainly we, you know I think that's reasonable to, to hope for that. Um, so yes, absolutely. And 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 if that happened, I mean you know from start you know from start to finish at least for round one, I'll explain why this is round one. A year. Well, as far as legal stuff goes, a year's not that bad. So, I mean, the summary judgment thing definitely... Not bad at all. Yeah, yeah. So so here's the thing. Um, regardless of the outcome of this, um, we know with 100%, um, we know 100% that if we lose, we will appeal. Now, if the city loses, 
I can't read their mind. I'd say there's a very, very high likelihood they would appeal, but I, I can't say 100% because I'm not them. Um, that being said, we can safely assume that w regardless of the outcome, um, there will be an appeal either by us or by the city. Now, let's, I agree. let's, yes. let's say the, the best case scenario, let's say we win um, this, what we could call, I suppose, the first round. Um, it's, it's always good to win the first one. So if we if we do, what could happen? Like, is there is there a chance, for example, that the judge would rule in our favor? What would be the legal status of vaping um, indoors and, and and outdoor? You know, basically, what would he pull back what has been set up by this law, or would he let it stand, or, or does he have discretion to do either? I think that's a question that can't be answered right now because it's impossible to know how he's going to word the decision. For example, it could be the decision could be stayed pending an appeal. Um, even if he even if he didn't do that, uh, the city could apply for a stay. So there's really uh, there's really so many possibilities there that it's just difficult to say right now. Right, because it would have it would really depend on the specific wording of the judge's decision, and there's uh, no telling for sure what he's going to do about that. All I can say is I can say with uh, I can say with reasonable confidence that it's very likely that there's going to be appellate practice, because I think that's right. I think it's highly probable that the city would appeal if we won, and we already know that we're going to appeal if we don't win. Mm -hmm. So. I think you'll I think you'll be seeing this case in the uh, first department in the appellate division. Okay. Well, um, coming soon to an appeals court near you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I just wanted to let everybody know um and also to share all of the documents so you could see the hard work that um Josh B Law Group has done and the not so hard work that the city has done in this case. Um I'll, I'll put it there for you in the chat again and again it's in the replay notes. Um, but I just wanted to let everybody know, since we've received so much help from the community, from vendors and vapors that helped fund this list, this lawsuit, I, I figured everyone was entitled to an update. And just to let everyone know that we are in the final leg of part one, and then we will most likely begin part two, which is there any chance of this? Okay, so there's another thing. I mean, now we're talking probably another year in advance, but you know, why not? Um, okay, so let's say we win or lose. Let's just say we win the first one. And then the city appeals, and then we win the second one. Okay, what happens then? Can yeah. they take it? Can they take <laughs> it to a third appeal? They can. Uh, in fact, because it's uh, it's a statute, because it's a law, uh, th this this thing very well could be bound for the court of appeals. I I'll, I'll put it this way: if you want to go to the court of appeals, which is the highest court in New York, most in most cases you have to ask permission from either the Court of Appeals or from the Intermediate Court, the Appellate Division. You have to ask their permission because they're trying to keep their case load down. They're not going to just take any case. Obviously, once a case has been in the lower court and then in the appeals court, to get to the higher, higher court, the highest court, you have to have a compelling issue. There has to be a reason. Uh, some cases, uh, the Court of Appeals will hear automatically. For example, if a case is decided with two dissenting justices, so a three-to-two decision, for example. Um, in the intermediate court, the Court of Appeals will automatically hear it. It triggers an automatic appeal. Uh, but there are other categories of cases that automatically go to the um, Court of Appeals, and one of them 
is when you are dealing with constitutional interpretation. So when you're looking to interpret a constitutional provision of either the U.S. Constitution or the state constitution, and it involves a statute, um, you are automatically entitled to go to the Court of Appeals. So we 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 have a very strong argument that we are dealing with that here. After all, the one subject rule is in the New York State Constitution. Um, so that is a possibility that we we may even have an automatic trip to the Court of Appeals. Possibility. Interesting. Uh, if you have questions or comment, yeah. if you have questions or comments, please do call in. It's three four seven three zero eight eight three two nine. I see we have a call here, so I'm going to pick it up. Uh, caller in the four zero eight area code. You're on the air. Hi, how are you? Uh, my name's Eddie Wolf. I got a couple different questions uh, that I'd like to ask. Yeah, do me a favor, Ed. Speak speak right into your phone because you're you're wavering in and out a little bit. But go ahead. Okay. Is this any better? Yeah. I can hear you. Okay. Uh, First question is that you guys are doing a uh, a uh, judgment on the pleadings or uh, a summary uh, asking for summary judgment. If both of them fail, then the case still goes to court, right? Yeah, that's actually an excellent point. Um, I will say that that is that's unlikely. I, I would say the chances of that happening would be similar to the chances of flipping a coin and it, the coin lands on its edge, neither heads nor tails, because it's really it's a strictly legal issue there there are no factual disputes you know we have all the transcripts of all the hearings we know what the law says in fact the parties i actually agreed with opposing counsel that there were no factual disputes so we just agreed that we were just going to submit our brief to the court and argue well is this a violation of the one subject rule or not so it's likely that the judge is either going to say that the one subject rule has been violated or it hasn't been violated um, for the judge to do nothing, he would essentially be saying that, well, I want to have a trial on this. But you really can't have a trial on it. It's really an issue that has to be decided on, on the paper. Um, he could ask for so oral argument, they, I suppose. They didn't dispute any of the factual allegations because usually if your factual allegations all support your claims at the end, you should win. And if they're accepting all of them, if your case is written right, it should win. Yeah, excellent point. I, I agree with everything you're saying. What the, what the city decided is they're saying, look, the plaintiffs, uh, Ross and New York City Clash, they're arguing that our interpretation, our reading of the one subject rule is overly broad. Um, and, I, and I addressed that at the beginning of this, this call with Ross, which is that even if we grant them that, the e-cig ban itself specifically talks about concerns relating to smoking. So when we file our opposition papers, we're going to raise that point. So our point is whether you want to apply a narrow interpretation of the one subject rule or a broad interpretation, um, we believe that the the one subject rule has been violated. The, the Clean Air Act that they're using, uh, is, does that only apply to smoke or is it for other things like you know, uh, grease, uh, you know, grease in the restaurant that's in the air. Is it, is it only for uh, tobacco? Yeah, there, there's no question that the Clean the Clean Air Act, you know, which became the Smoke-Free Air Act in 1995 and which has been amended a few times, there's no question that the entire law is about exposure to secondhand smoke, which, which obviously is not produced by e-cigarettes. So 
Although we took, by the way, I'll mention, we took great pains to note for the court that this that this case is not about scientific issues. We're not making arguments about what you know what is in e-cigs versus cigarettes, other than to say that it's clearly not secondhand smoke. Uh, but all along, all the politicians, um, they've always they've always been consistent. This is about exposure to secondhand smoke, the Smoke Free Air Act. The health commissioners have always said that it's in the transcripts. Uh, so that's why this is deceptive. Sort of, it's sort of throwing, it's sort of sacrificing e-cigarette use, throwing e-cigarettes to the wolves, in order to just further, further uh, restrict smoking. Trying to just completely eradicate smoking by tying it to e-cigarettes and tying e-cigarettes to smoking in turn. Is the thought that they, if if uh, this were to, if the if the law were to be kicked out, that they would have a hard time writing and passing a law for e-cigarettes in specific? Well, um, I don't want to put words in Russ's mouth, but Russ had said that, and I agree with Russ a hundred percent. But certainly, that be is our that yeah that that is, that is our that is our suspicion that that is what we believe happened that is what we believe the discussions were in the back room uh because if they if they were really serious about owning it and saying look we want to do something about e-cigarettes and we want to do something about e-cigarettes standing alone they would have just passed a law a new law about e-cigarettes but instead they enacted this local law 152 and attached it to the smoke free air act and i I think that that's, that speaks volumes. Why and, do that? And you know what? It might really come to bite them in the butt because the time for them to actually try to make a whole new law and you know make a vapor-free air act or whatever you want to call it was then, was, was, was when they did it. Because at that time, there was only, I believe, two vape shops in New York. Now there's, I think there's at least a dozen. And on top of that, because there's so many local stores now there's so many more people using e-cigarettes so they might have been able to do it that first time around um or it certainly would have been easier so it, there's no question by by the time this case is done if they find themselves having to take out that new piece of paper uh they're going to have a much harder time than if they did it in december of 2013 yeah and russ just to just to add to that i i have the same problem with what they did as you do i i, I really don't like the fact that they hit it, not hit it, but tied it to the smoke-free air act. The other problem I have is that they really rushed into this. They don't have hard science about e-cigarettes. They just made a determination. They just they just flew by the seat of their pants. They just said, well, we think e-cigarettes are bad for you. And they, they, they really did that without fully considering any uh, scientific studies or, you know, really, really understanding that this is, this is not a settled area. And essentially, they took the position that this is settled, e-cigarettes are bad for you, and that's the end of it. And you know, you know. I think that is. I think that is what they were thinking. But to the best of my knowledge, from everything I've read, they never wrote that. Um, the, the basis for this ban was not health. In fact, one of our exhibits was the statements from Thomas Farley in front of the New York City Council, and he did not make any statement that electronic cigarettes are unhealthy or bad for you in any way. So it, maybe it is what they thought, but they certainly didn't have the courage or maybe they were just smart enough not to write that because there was nothing to back it up, right? I think I think you're right. I, th I think that's one of the things that, that happened. I think it's 
I think it's one of the unspoken goals here. Um, just like it's it's unspoken, it's unsaid that they were they, that they weren't bold enough to make this as a standalone law. I think unspoken is the fact that they have these concerns about supposed health ramifications of e-cigs, but may perhaps didn't have the evidence to just come out into the open and say, well, we think there are health problems. Instead, what they did is they they tied it, they bootstrapped it to to smoking. They said, well, it's going to encourage kids to smoke. It's going to it's going to increase the social acceptability of smoking. And there are absolutely no studies about that. There's no evidence of that either. Uh, so that was just as threadbare. They really made up the whole thing entirely out of whole cloth. Just kind of pulled it out of thin air. I think oh, I think Audrey is in, in the chat, and she made a good point that I should read. Um, a fact needs to be cleaned up. The latest law on e-cigs is not about vapor. The title of the act is to, quote, regulate electronic cigarettes, end quote. Uh, that means the use yep. of, not its effect on others. And the law that it's been added to is a law about the effect on others. It was about secondhand Correct. smoke. And, and I believe um, its effect really was more on the employees, if I'm remember, remembering correctly, the employees of establishments that were, you know, that were places. Well, you know, it, it must not have been all, just about that because smoking is also banned in outdoor public places, but I guess they got employees there too, so I guess you can make that clear. I'm not, well, I'm not 100% about well, that. Well, Russ, the original, yeah, the original intent was to protect people in the workplace, and then it sort of, it sort of grew from there. And, and also, Audrey, Audrey is right. It's all about the regulation of, of e-cigarettes, but then when you read their legislative findings, you see that it's really about so much more than that. And you see that it's really not one subject. You see that it's all over the map. It's all about various supposed societal considerations, various social considerations relating to smoking and people's right to choose whether they want to smoke or not. Quick question about precedent. Um, obviously, we're making uh, an argument that this violates the one subject rule, and we'll see how it goes. But how... Has this been challenged before in the state of New York where somebody has brought up a complaint using the one subject rule argument and then what happened? Has has this happened before? There have been there have been one subject rule challenges. I will say this. We are not aware of any successful one subject challenges of recent vintage, uh particularly relating to this arena. But that's not that's not unexpected. It's it's a very arcane rule. I mean, it's it's hard for me to emphasize how arcane this uh, this rule is. It's very it's it's quite arcane. It's, well, it's, it's an it's an unusual rule. <laughs> well, well, perhaps the reason there are so few challenges to it is because it's generally followed. Generally followed, uh, but but uh, also just credit to Audrey here because um, this is her. Her brainchild. It's it's actually something that is uh, is not so obvious. It's not so apparent. It's just um, it's definitely off the beaten track of uh, of of normal strategies in in, in uh, challenging uh, challenging statutes. But uh, it's a good one. I think it was a really uh, really creative uh, uh, stroke of genius by Audrey because I think it's uh, it's applicable here. Well, uh, this uh, yeah. go, go, uh, I. I I was just going to say, and then you can ask your question. It, it, listen, this wouldn't be the first time that Audrey's won a suit. I mean, she used Josh P. Law Group in the past to fight against 
uh, a smoking ban in the state of New York, not the city of New York, and uh, you guys won that. And that's uh, that's on appeal right now, right? Well, unfortunately, the uh, appellate division, third department, reversed. Oh shit! Uh, our victory in the lower court. Yeah, bummer. Uh, but we're uh, we're going to seek leave to uh, to appeal to the court of appeals. Okay. Uh, uh, so it just shows you. It just shows you when you're dealing with smoking, you're you're definitely swimming upstream. Yeah. You know, the justices are definitely going to have a uh, going to have a prejudice against smoking and, and smokers. Yeah. What was your question going to be, Ed? Uh, beyond one subject uh, rule, I haven't been able to read the lawsuit yet. Uh, are you using any other tools to go after the same law? Are there, are there multiple um, forks that you're using? Nope. It's all about the one subject rule. It's a pretty, it's a narrow challenge. It's, it's simple. Um, it's elegant. Uh, there's nothing, for example, I don't know if you're alluding to anything about scientific issues. No. This is strictly, it's strictly procedural. All right. And so if you guys win the, um, the uh, uh, summary judgment, what do you think the outcome would be? Would the law be overturned immediately, or would they, uh, you know, would they be successful in asking them to hold off on that until the appeal is heard? Would, would, yeah, would... That, that, that one, that, that's hard to say sitting here right now, because I, I'd have to see the, the judge's decision, how, how it's specifically worded. I wouldn't be able to hazard a right. guess about that so easily now. I mean, like, I can sit here and tell you that I fully expect this to be in the appeals court. I can say that's highly likely. But as to what the status of the, the law would be at that point, I would want to reserve comment on that until I actually saw what the decision was, because uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come down to what the judge wants to do with it at that time. I'd have to see the specifics. Right, how, how strongly it's worded. That makes sense. The last question I had was, uh, I know you said this is an arcane rule in New York. I don't know how in other states, uh, how arcane or similar, uh, they would have a, a law on the books like this. Because a, a lot of cities have basically done the same thing that New York has. So mm -hmm. how applicable would this win be for the rest of the nation? Well, uh, I think that New York City and I think New York State are... Uh, Certainly, uh, highly persuasive jurisdictions. I think other parts of the country will look to New York as a leader uh, in a lot of areas of the law. So I think it would be huge in that in that respect. I can't speak to whether there there are um, companion provisions in other states. I'd say it's likely that there are in at least some states, but I think it would it would it would pave the way for possible challenges in other states where there there are such provisions all right absolutely absolutely i think that's a good a good point yeah good to be back on hold thanks thanks great questions ed appreciate it cheers oh thank you very much okay so ed in uh in in summation thank you again uh for all of your hard work and everyone else who's working on this i i, I know there's there's several people working on this at josh b law group and i'm i'm Glad Absolutely. You, and I'm glad. Yeah, I, I would just like to, Russ, I would just like to, to uh, quickly just thank our associate, Sharon Cavino, who's also been working on this um, for her hard work as well. I'd be remiss if uh, she wasn't mentioned, but just wanted to uh, let the audience know about her hard work as well. Right on, right on. And, 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 and thanks again to Audrey, who's obviously without her idea, none of this would have happened. So thanks so much. Biggest um, thanks. Biggest thanks to Audrey. Biggest thanks to Audrey. It was her idea. And uh, she is the brains behind the operation. Big ups.
Well, hey, thanks again for coming on to, to give us an update. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about this in a couple of months when uh, Judge Nervo makes a decision. Um, until then, thanks. Thanks so much. My pleasure, Russ. Thank you so much. Good night. All right. Have a good night. There he goes, everybody. Edward Paltzik from the Josh B. Law Group. Uh, these guys are doing great work. And if you are into legal geekery, um, you can just see exactly what that hard work is by reading through the court documents, which I've shared with everyone. Fantastic. Okay, so let's talk about some other things here. The, the, people are funny. We're living in an age where people are so willing to put their entire lives out on the internet and their most intimate of details. Over the weekend, actually this started last Thursday. Now, admittedly, this guy, first of all, nobody knows if this is true or not. But everybody knows that it's compelling. Um, I didn't see it when he first, he what, what he did was, if you believe him, and there's a lot of people that do and there's a lot of people that don't. But if you believe this anonymous gentleman, he discovered by accident on his wife's cell phone that she was having an affair. Um, he started on Thursday by asking in a, uh, a Reddit forum about ask uh, relationship advice. He started asking questions, what do I do? And for some reason they, they, they deleted that. But then he went to, I guess, a more lenient uh, subreddit uh, called TIFU, which stands for Today I Fucked Up. And he said, today I fucked up by going through my wife's phone, and now I've realized that she's having an affair. And then what he started doing was he started posting literally minute-by-minute minute updates as to what was going on. And it, it didn't just go viral on Reddit. It got to the point where the Huffington Post and Fox News is now talking about this today. There are literally millions of people that are hanging on this guy's every word. It's unbelievable. And it's not, there's no videos, there's no pictures. It's just what he's typing. And boy, has he typed. It's it's a marathon to get through it. Um, and I recommend it. You know, it's such a, it's such a, it's such a bizarre topic. And it's one that you would think wouldn't get as much attention as it has. After all, what he's talking about is his wife cheating on him. That's not exactly headline news in America. I mean, this is happening every day. This is happening right now. In the, in the time it took for me to finish this sentence, there have been <laughs> dozens of people who have cheated on their wives right now. In the act, sitting with other people. So, but in the way that he did it, being so, so detailed with all of the, with, with everything, every last detail. Okay, he, he went from, okay, I found the pictures, here, here's what they look like, and then, okay, my wife's going on a vacation, what do I do? I'm thinking of going to, and, and all these people are communicating with him, and you could see all of it, and they're steering him in what direction to go. Ultimately, what the guy did was he hired a private investigator. Again, nobody knows that he's the only person that knows if this is true or not. He says that he's changed many details so that just in case his wife sees it, she won't necessarily think it's about him, but or or, or you know, or maybe 
trying to protect himself from friends or whatever. So the people have uncovered a lot of holes in this story, but the holes may be as a result of him changing details. Nobody knows, but everybody knows that you, if you start reading this, you cannot stop. He goes through, I hired a private investigator. And he's got a live webcam. He's trailing them. They're going here. They're going to a, a Starbucks. They picked up a guy. Now they picked up another guy. Now there's the four of them are going into a hotel. And he's got pictures. And then they're and then the PI's following them back to a house. And she's making out with the guy. He's got proof of his wife. She, so all this stuff. And then it goes on to they come back. And now his uh, and, and his brother is actually. So there's two women. And there's two men. There's the guy writing all the Reddit posts. There's his wife, there's his brother, and his brother is married to this other woman, this other woman, and that other woman, and uh, the poster's wife or friend. So there's four people involved in this. So it goes from, well, it looks like his brother's wife didn't cheat, and then a couple a day goes by, and then more details come out. Looks like she did. Now he's at the point where he's got he thinks he has evidence or, or he's got reasonable suspicion that they're having orgies in the hotel. It's it's crazy, and it's still going on. He has promised to continue updating and will actually post after the divorce. He, he wants to divorce his wife, um, obviously. He's promised to post all the court documents from his divorce once that happens. That's obviously months away. But at this point, he's been doing this for almost a week. Now, a lot of people are... And, and I'll post all this so that you guys can, if you guys want to, I'm telling you, I'm just warning you. Once you get in, once you start reading this, you, you're not going to stop. There was a time on Sunday where, you know, obviously he's post, he's, he's updating all this live. So there was a time where, okay, the, the private investigator has, has collected all this information and then his wife is finally coming home, right? So from the time that his wife, Actually, he's he's like, you know, his last update, he's like, okay, I think she, she's here. I'll update you later. So at that point, it's hard to say how many. Um, you can say today for sure there are millions of people following this story or whatever you want to call it, literally millions, because it's got mainstream coverage at this point. It's Fox News, Huffington Post, it's, it's everywhere. At that time, it's pretty safe to say that there were hundreds of thousands of people watching this. And you could tell because every there's, there are people literally sitting at their computer, refreshing that screen, trying to find out what's happening next. So here is why I believe this is real. If, let, let's just say, Let's just say let's just say you were somebody's trying you know, making up a story and trying to get attention, right? Let's say that's the case, okay? If you are a person who is making stuff up to try to get people to pay attention to you and read it, the one thing that type of person would never do is that once he finally got hundreds of thousands of people to be sitting glued to the screen, hitting F5. Every 30 seconds, you got hundreds of people, hundreds of thousands of people just dying to hear what you're going to say next. One thing you don't do is go silent for several hours. I don't think that kind of a person could have that kind of control, self-control. You finally got, you finally got a massive, massive audience. 
and then you're going to you're going to have the self control to just sit there and not do anything for several hours. I, I it just doesn't fit the profile. Anyway, I guess we'll find out in a few months if this guy actually goes through with it. And you, you know, one thing he says he's talking to a lawyer right now. If this is true, if this is a true story, I can guarantee that he did not tell his lawyer that he was putting this on Reddit because if he had any lawyer worth a grain of salt would tell him stop, especially at this point, now that it's in mainstream media, you know, now that millions of people are watching this. I mean, granted, there's a lot of people who are cheating, but you know, he says he's changed some of the details, but some of them, you know, there's four people involved. Okay. A lot, most cheating is just a man and his wife. And you know, one of the, you know, either the man or the, or the wife is cheating and there's another person. All right. That's most of it. Now you got four people here and one of them is his brother, right? So he's also posted some things about income disparity between him, him and his wife. Also that he has a prenuptial agreement with a no cheating clause. Each one of those details, if any of them are true, each one of them, it's kind of cutting down the pool to the point where, I don't know. When you got that many people reading something, you gotta think somebody at the office is going to be talking about this at the water cooler. And then, I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter in terms of law, but I don't know. You, you never know. You know, people act in extreme ways and extreme situations. So anyway, if you have not seen this again, here are the links to everything that's been going on. And I just caution you, if you're going to get into this, it's it's the ultimate soap opera. I mean, beware because you will get hooked. True or false, this is some of the most riveting writing that I have ever, ever read in my entire life. Take that for what it's worth. So I want to talk about a couple of good cops that did the right thing and got screwed. So let's, um, all right, so th th here, here's the first guy. This is, a, this is a guy, he's from New York, but he was a cop in Baltimore. He is the son of, uh, his mother and father were both cops in the NYPD. Uh, this guy is like the ultimate Boy Scout. I mean, he, for, for, from what anyone can tell, this guy was not just a good cop, he was a great cop. After 9-11, he volunteered for, you know, to clean up the downtown area. He volunteered for the Coast Guard to protect, you know, because nobody knew what was going to happen after if these were. So anyway, he's, he's, he's volunteering his life, really, for, you know, cleaning up, defending the country, all that stuff because of 9-11. Then he went to be a cop. That was always his lifelong dream. You know, I've got, I've got some audio of him in an interview. Um, why don't you hear it from him? Um, stand by. Oh, great. You see, normally I pull this stuff so I don't have to click a web link. I didn't have time to do that. So I'm just going to watch this commercial. But anyway, um, yeah, uh, comes from the pedigree. He was moving up the ranks of the department remarkably quickly because 
he was just doing a great job. He was super committed, super into being a cop. Um, okay, and here we go. Let's, uh, yes. This is from an interview with the Daily News. So all I ever wanted to do, both my parents were uh, New York City cops right here. Um, grew up in a law enforcement family. It's all I ever wanted to do. I just wanted to help people. He was on Baltimore PD for five years. I moved up the ranks extremely quick. When I was in the academy, I was in charge of my class. I was my class commander. Upon graduating, I received uh, the commissioner's award for uh, the trainee that exhibits the most leadership. I was the first in my class to make detective. It took me a year after I got out to make detective. And... Uh, that was probably one of the most proud moments uh, of my life. In 2011, he saw, he witnessed something. We'll talk about that in a second. While I was there, uh, I was working as a, a drug detective. Saw a guy selling drugs on the street. We went to stop him. The guy threw the drugs and ran. Uh, he was ultimately chased and uh, kicked in the back door of a, a woman's home. Other cops went in and they were able to place the guy under arrest. We uh, secured the drugs from uh, that he had thrown that we saw him selling. You know, stuff like that in Baltimore, honestly, it happens every day. It's nothing that's... Uh, out of the norm or necessarily a big thing. Uh, the unfortunate thing was that this guy uh, kicked in the back door of uh, a woman who was the girlfriend of another cop that I, I didn't know personally uh, in a different part of the city, an off-duty cop. After he was placed in our transport wagon and uh, sent down to the city jail, he, uh, the sergeant spoke to the off-duty officer. They had some sort of communication and the uh, sergeant on the radio called the wagon back, brought the suspect back into the house and they brought him into a back room where he was assaulted. Ultimately, I found out later on that he had his ankle broken, and uh, you know he'd, uh, he had also said that he was assaulted and beat. At that time, all I could think about was, you know, that as cops, we, uh, we needed to, you know, A, police ourselves. You know, I didn't want to be a part of that. I didn't become a cop to be, get justice, I be, or street justice, I'm sorry, I became a cop to get real justice. And, uh, you know, I spoke to my parents who, like I told you, were both New York City cops that night, and uh, I tried to report about, you know, what had happened. I didn't want to be uh, a part of that. What happened that night was wrong, no matter how, how it happened. If, you know, you had done that, if any, somebody else had done that, nobody would have even thought twice about taking you to jail. It's never okay to beat a handcuffed suspect. You know, we're supposed to uphold the law. I tried to report it that night and was told that if I uh, snitched about what happened, that it would be the end of my career. After that, it was like a roller coaster that uh, I just couldn't get off of. Okay, this is after he reported the incident to his superiors. I had to deal with, you know, being called a snitch and a rat by sergeants and other officers. I had uh, multiple times I called for backup, and uh, nobody came to back me up, you know, in dangerous situations, cha uh, chasing uh, a felony drug suspect. Nobody from my squad would ride, told me they didn't want to ride with me because I talked about what had happened. I had a, uh, a sergeant call me and threaten me at my house and tell me I better pray to God I'm not the star witness. Somebody placed a dead rat on mine on my wife's car. Um, it just, it, it kept going for, even from there. I was moved around to the point where I didn't even know where I was supposed to be going to work. I didn't know where I was reporting on a daily basis. It just got to the point where I couldn't do my job. The badge I had didn't mean anything. I was being told, hey, for the next 12 hours, I need you to stare at this, uh, at this alley and I need you to tell me, you know, if anybody tries to rob or uh, break into any of these houses or stare at this trail and see if anybody comes up this trail for the next eight hours, you know. The badge didn't mean anything at that point because I, could, I wasn't in a position to help anybody because I just wasn't even being allowed to. So uh, I ended up making a decision to leave the police department ultimately and give up my dream, my childhood dream of being a cop. This part kind of blows my mind. 
98, 99% of cops are great. They work all hours of the night. They, you know, make sure that they protect you and your families. You know, they do the right thing. Anti-cop mentality now and the uh, untrust that this, the public has of officers right now, that's not because of the majority, the 98 or 99%, that's because of the one or 2%. I'm not gonna lie, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's scary. You know, I ultimately ended up having to move in 1,100 miles. I lost my entire career. I went from uh, having a, ra a rocket strapped on my back and uh, blowing up the ranks to, uh, you know, ultimately being uh, thrown down. So I'm hoping that, you know, the lawsuit that I filed that it will help other cops you know feel the strength to come forward and you know talk about what happened talk about you know if they saw something that they don't have to be afraid that we're here to help you you know and that they could actually actively police the police themselves you know we're not above the law and I'm just hoping that that's what I'd ultimately like to see happen with this whole thing is that you know it's going to instill that integrity that citizens could look and you know read your guys article or you know look at me and say look not all cops are bad and you know what? He's right. Most cops do do good things. I agree with that. But the numbers he used, he said 98, 99% of all cops are good. If, okay, maybe if he's talking about all cops all, all over America or whatever, but it is physically impossible that 98 to 99% of in his department in Baltimore were good because this required so many people to do so many things, even starting from the original incident that night. Okay, so they apprehended a suspect, a bad dude, right? They took him, and then the decision to take that person from the police department back to the home that he invaded and then let the homeowner basically beat the shit out of him that required basically most of the people who were involved in that in, in the investigation at the point, most of them had had to discuss and agree to this. This wasn't just one cop. To, you, you couldn't you couldn't be done. So it starts there. Then it moves on to once he finally dis decides to escalate this this and, and report it, the decision to have him go and stand in an alley and look at it for eight hours and that's his shift that can't be done by one person that has to be everything is coordinated there's a chain of command there's people there okay there's somebody who writes the assignment there's somebody who then he has to report back everyone has to so many people have to be involved with this most of the people have to be involved in it at least in terms of superiors are, are concerned everyone had to know what was going on everybody knew about this guy's case it was big news it's not every day a, a, a cop a cop reports police abuse. So everybody knew about this guy. The entire department knew, and it's likely that everybody knew what they were doing to him. That required cooperation from so many different angles, so many different people. Yeah, sure. Somebody leaving a dead rat on his wife's car, or, or in his his and his wife's car, I think. Yes, that could be one person. But the decision to you know, make this guy watch paint dry for a living. That had to be done by many or most of his superiors. So I take issue with the number that he used, but Jesus Christ. Do you wonder why more cops don't come forward? I mean, all you have to do is look at something like this as an example. This cop was squeaky clean. He was a great cop, and all he did was report police abuse and that was all it took to get 
not the 1% of the bad cops in the department, the majority of the department, to completely screw him, to intimidate him and his, his family, to run, him out of, to run him out of town. This is why good cops keep their mouth shut. Because look at what happens when you say something. Uh, here's another case. Pretty much the same thing. Um, there's a, a police department. Where was this? I forget. doesn't really matter. But uh, there's a police department. They, they, had, they had a nice little thing going on for themselves there. This was in, uh, oh, who fucking knows? Fort Smith. That could be anywhere. I don't know. Um, anyway, these cops, what they would do, they would have sex with prostitutes and then bust them, which really seems mean. I mean, if you're, if you're going to have sex with them, then, you know, just give them a warning or something. I don't know. But that's what they would do. They would go on undercover stings, have sex with the, with the, with the prostitutes, and then arrest them. And that, you know, it's not necessary to consummate the act of paying for sex in order to get an arrest. All you have to do, there's, it's easy to do. This is, this is very pedestrian stuff. Vice squads know how they, they have to get something. Either you have a, you go there, you, the, 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 the suspect accepts the money. You, it's easy to, it's easy to, and the, the whole system is, it's, it's very, very structured at this point. Every prostitution bust goes the same way. They go in, they do it the same way every time. That's the evidence. It pleads down, blah, blah, blah. It's in and out. I mean, it's, 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 it's a revolving door that is very well oiled. Okay. So here's the, here, so listen to this, uh, this one I actually pulled. Here's, here's the news report. Listen to this. Mind blowing. Uh, spoiler alert. The guy got fired for reporting his superiors. His firing to circuit court. This comes after police say he lied during an internal investigation concerning a leaked document. It's a document that states a police officer engaged in sexual activity with a prostitute during an undercover bust. Five News reporter. Oh, no. What a Fort I... Smith police sergeant appealing his firing to circuit court. Sorry about that. This comes after police say he lied during an internal investigation concerning a leaked document. It's a document that states a police officer engaged in sexual activity with a prostitute during an undercover bust. Five News reporter Aubrey Killian has more from police and the fired officer. I want my job back. Don Paul Bales was fired and is accused of lying after releasing details of an undercover officer's arrest of a prostitute. Records show the department concluded Bales shared a photo of an arrest document with his attorney and lied about it later to superiors. He was found to have violated at least seven department policies. Bales had been concerned that an arrest back in April of a prostitute may have violated police procedure because the undercover officer listed as J.B. engaged in sexual acts with the suspect before arresting her. They fired me and called me a liar. Bales says he didn't lie and he was required by department policy to report professional concerns about other officers' misconduct to supervisors and thus did nothing wrong by reporting the actions of the undercover officer. The panel believed he's been untruthful in an investigation. Fort Smith Police Sergeant Daniel Grubbs. It's unfortunate on both 
standards of what happened here. This is a, this was a long-standing employee. It's sad that this has happened. We asked, is it lawful for an officer to engage in sexual activity during an undercover sex sting? Yes, it's <laughs> lawful, but you also kind of look at it's lawful bullshit. You know, policies, procedures, bullshit. but you also have a supervisor that's in charge of your undercover operations. Right. Every case is unique. Bales denies any wrongdoing. They said I lied about what I had told my attorney. And hopes to be back in uniform soon. I put over 13 years of hard work and dedication into an agency I really loved. Hopefully it's timely. You know, it's uh, something that I hope happens fairly soon. It's been very, very hard on my family. In Fort Smith, Aubrey Killian, 5 News. The undercover officer who received the sex act was not penalized because police say he did nothing wrong. They found the activity was needed to secure the arrest. And it's not needed. There's never, it's never been that way. You don't have to have sex with a prostitute to arrest her. You can stop well short of that. There's a bunch of cops running around fucking horse. That's all it was. This guy turns him in and loses his job over some fucking bullshit. This is why good cops don't say anything. It's because you get fired. You get a rat put on your window. You get your family harassed. You get threatened. The only thing... It's almost... It's almost like if, if you're a citizen and you report police misconduct, uh, you may get you know some extra heat on you. You probably will. But if you're actually a cop, look out. Look out. Holy shit. And that's why. Um, now for something completely different. Um, I I got I, I kind of got addicted to this uh, this iPhone game. I, I love playing pool, and uh, somebody turned me on to this game, which is like uh, it's a pool game for your for your phone or your iPad. And I started playing it, and it was pretty cool. Um, but I didn't like it for a couple of reasons because. Number one, while the gameplay was very good, it wasn't particularly realistic. Like, it lets you do things like put English on the ball and stuff. It gives you a lot of control over uh, over how you shoot. But, like, even if like if your ball was, like, pushed up against the rail, you could still put low English on it, which is obviously physically impossible. You can't hit the bottom of a ball if it's up against the rail. So things like that bothered me. And also, they do these wacky things, like, if you, you know, you, you win money, you know, fake money, when you win games and you could save up the fake money and buy like a, a, a pool cue stick with magic powers, which I'm just like, that's fucking bullshit. I mean, just, just do it on skill. So I got, so I'm just like, uh, let me, let me look for something better. And I found this awesome app. It's free. Um, it does have some like add-ons, um, which are totally unnecessary, but um, you know, if you want to play different games or have different tables and a bunch of other stuff, Anyway, this game is so fucking realistic. If you got your ball up against the wall, you cannot put low English on it. It's in 3D, as opposed to the other one, which was a 2D view over the table. You can have different views. You can put English on the ball. You can masse the ball. Um, it's extremely difficult. Um, this is very, very challenging. Potting balls is not easy. On the other one, it was actually pretty easy. Um, so it's a fantastic game. The only downside is that the other game, the first game, it was so popular that, like, you go online, you know, to play real people. I mean, that's the, 
so you go online to play real people. You click find a game, you will have a game in two seconds because they're it's so popular. This game is much less popular, probably because it's due to the realism, it's so much harder. So you can go online and play people. Uh, it's just going to take you a little bit longer to, to get a game. Um, anywhere between like 30 seconds and like two minutes, you might even wait to find a game. But that being said, and it's slow. The other one is just like bang, 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 super fast. This one, because you have so much control over each one of your shots, you know, setting up a shot might take you the better part of a minute. Whereas the other one, you just kind of like aim and flick and take a shot. Anyway, the point of all this is... Um, I love it, and it's cross-platform. It's both for iPhone and Android, and because of the way they have it set up, you could be playing on your iPhone and be playing against somebody who's on Android because they have their own little internal server, which is a little bit wonky, but at least it lets it be cross-platform. Anyway, my point on all this is if you like pool and you're looking for a fucking awesome game, you should install this. Like I said, it's free, and then you and I can play. That's really all this is, is an elaborate way for me to get more people and my friends that I could play pool with on my iPad. So there are the links to where you can download it. Um, my username is point prime, P O I N T P R I M E. Add me as a friend and we can play. How about that? 